The OCD and Anxiety Podcast by Robert James Coaching. Hello and welcome to the OCD and Anxiety Podcast, where we explore how to have a more positive relationship with anxiety disorders taking back control so that you can start living the life you choose and not the one chosen by your fears. Hi everyone and welcome to episode 20. I can't believe we're uh, already at number 20. Where does the time go, eh? Anyway, today I am interviewing uh, Dennis Simsek, who is an author, speaker and host of the Anxiety Guy podcast, where he shares his knowledge and experiences on dealing with anxiety. The podcast received the Best of iTunes Award in the health category due to its commitment to helping people overcome anxiety and improving every aspect of their lives. It's a really fascinating interview and uh, Dennis goes into detail about his, uh, his story of anxiety. Um, he used to be a professional tennis player and the pressures of that and, um, and dealing with anxiety were really hard for him to, to cope with. Um, but luckily for him, at some point in his mid-twenties, he kind of turned a corner and he really learned um, how to start managing his, uh, his, his anxiety much more effectively. Um, he then uh, decided to become an anxiety coach and, and learn about CBT and NLP and uh, because those were the tools that really helped him with his uh, own battle with anxiety. Um, so within this interview, we really discuss some of the, the top tips he has for, for managing anxiety much better. He goes into detail at looking at the causes of anxiety um, and explains how we can, if we can actually identify what actually are the problems and the causes of the anxiety to start with, then it makes everything else much easier to deal with. We also discuss the the, the benefits and merits of, you know, more alternative approaches to, to managing anxiety. Obviously, if you go and work with a therapist, uh, that will be one way or one approach for, for managing anxiety problems. If you come and work with a, a coach for anxiety, they may work with you uh, on different areas, things like NLP or, or hypnosis, or um, you know, they, might, they might apply more of their own personal experience to, to the process. And Dennis and I discussed the differences between, between uh, therapy and coaching uh, and how both of them can be beneficial in their own way. It's a great conversation and uh, Dennis, uh, Dennis's knowledge of anxiety and his years of experience of working uh, in this area uh, really do shine through throughout. If you'd like to know more about Dennis, you can check out his website, uh, www.theanxietyguy.com. Now, just a quick reminder that I do offer OCD and anxiety coaching. And if you'd like to know more about that, then um, I recommend that you go to my website, www.robertjamescoaching.com. There you can find out more about my coaching services. Um, I also offer a free mini course for OCD and anxiety, Uh, completely free. All you need to do for that is um, go to the website and uh, enter your email and then you can have access to the uh, the short free mini course where I give you um, you a short introduction into acceptance and and why that's so so important for managing anxiety problems. And uh, I also look at diffusion techniques, uh, ways that you can uh, get yourself unhooked when you find yourself really struggling with obsessive thoughts and uh, insecurities. Anyway, I really hope you uh, you enjoyed today's podcast, and uh, you know if you want to leave me a message, please do. Many thanks. Hi, Dennis. Welcome to the uh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, sir. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. It's an honor. Now the pleasure's all mine. Thanks very much for for coming on. So um, to start off with, could you tell us a little bit more about yourself, please, and and what you do? Yeah, um, I 
help people with anxiety disorders. I coach them. I, I have uh, programs, digital programs to help um, fuel people's recovery and to supercharge it. Um, I have a podcast called the Anxiety Guy Podcast, as well as a, a successful YouTube channel. And uh, really, you know, what I do is, is I try to help people become more flexible in their thinking. And I help them understand, you know, how they got to this level of sensitivity, which is anxiety. And what I really do, you know, my passion more than anything, Rob, is, is I'm really focused on, um, on the trauma-based side of anxiety. Right. So I'll do, I, I won't approach coaching and such from a, from a very uh, conversational perspective, but I will from a somatic, a bodily viewpoint, as well as an imaginative viewpoint to help people to reframe their traumas so that they can kind of put aside those core beliefs and create new ones. So what I do, and uh, you know, I've, I've had a tremendous interest in this, is I try to help people shift things at a subconscious level rather than give them what they expect all the time, the logic, the data, the numbers, which really doesn't help anxiety sufferers. So I try to go as deep as I can. Yeah. 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 That, that really makes sense, you know, because uh, so much of uh, anxiety, you know, it, it can be kind of, you know, conscious thinking and, and, and whatever, but actually underneath that always is sometimes, you know, some subconscious kind of blocks that, that can really stop people from, from uh, you know, managing that anxiety or recovering better. Totally. And I had, I did, you know, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I didn't realize any of this stuff um, when I first started to look to heal myself. Mm. Like it was, you know what it was? It was positive thinking. Um, it was the options were medication and such. Of course, there's a time and place for all that. Um, but there was very limited options in terms of what do you do to deal with the root causes of what you're feeling in the present moment. Yeah. 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 Uh, so that was a very frustrating ordeal. It was a very confusing place to be. And, and, uh, you know, to be honest with you, there were, there was, there was some time there where I had to really go through hell to get to heaven, you know, and uh, hell was to, to look directly at some of the things I was stuffing really deep within me, you know, some of the, the zip files in my body based on past trauma, things I didn't let go of or forgiven myself or other people. So I dug really deep into that stuff. And one of the most incredible things that started to happen was I started to feel lighter, felt like I wasn't carrying this emotional baggage with me anymore. Mm -hmm. And so with that lightness came the ability over time to provide information to other people um, to help them kind of take the same route, which, which seems to be working. Yeah. Okay. And um, in the past, you used to be a professional tennis player, correct? I did. Yeah. I did. And, um, and, and did, did that kind of contribute in a way like to the pressure you were putting, you know, put, you know putting on yourself and, the anxiety that you were experiencing at that time? Oh, tremendous, tremendous. Um, you know, when it, my father was a very stubborn man, he was, a, he was the kind of man that if he put his mind to something, that was all there was, very mm -hmm. tunnel vision-like. And, and any opinions of others wasn't really respected much. Mm -hmm. So when he recognized, you know, as, as many parents do, they recognize the amount of, um, fame and uh, wealth and whatever that the sporting athletes are making today on TV, they go, wow, maybe my son can do that. So he doesn't have to live, right? He doesn't have yeah. to go to an office job all day and, and yeah. make somebody else's dreams come true. It really reminds me of uh, and Andre uh, Agassi's um, yeah. actually. So yeah. about that, the big part of it. Great book. Open. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Great book. Um, very similar story, in fact, very similar. Um, I definitely didn't make it even close to what Andre did. But um, yeah, the pressure started very, very early. There was no plan B. Um, other coaches came uh, on board in terms of the pressure that was put on me because um, I was a good tennis player. I wasn't a great tennis player. But I, I believe I wasn't a great tennis player because of the pressure. 
if yeah. if there was a bit more leeway and flexibility for me to enjoy my my childhood a bit more and at the same time and you know look further into and enjoy the tennis world i felt like i could have been a lot better yeah um because that pressure i would i remember matches where you know you start playing the match and and there's no sorry there's a lot of pressure in the beginning on your from yourself and others but it was strange because even as the match wore on towards the end i felt the same level of anxiety and and sensitivity and pressure mm. it never went away yeah so everything was results oriented everything was looking for certainty in a world where there was none and that really transferred into to an anxiety disorder as an adult yeah i, I can really yeah. imagine how that happened you know you know from from playing different sports myself as as a kid and you know like obviously in, in in those situations i'm playing you know with other kids it's an amateur level of the sport but even okay. even under that kind of situation i would be so disappointed in myself if i didn't perform to a level you know that would be you know that i would deem kind of good enough and right. if i would be under pressure you know in a in a game to kind of you know to, to get the first serve in or to, to make a point or whatever and i didn't do that yeah. you know and then i yeah. made, i would end up losing that game if the the emotional kind of uh turmoil i would go through from that would be quite strong and actually you know the anxiety that i would be feeling in that situation would often be you know quite strong so i imagine if you take that and you put it into a professional situation where you know you're really kind of you know everything is 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 actually mixed up with that your identity is is mixed up yes, pressure exactly i can really exactly anxiety could could hijack that and kind of make that mm -hmm. very unenjoyable and uh, very difficult very much so yeah i mean you 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 put, you put it perfectly it was it was like living as an emotional roller coaster and with with moments of of um I wouldn't even call it fun. I don't, I remember having fun as a child, but I remember looking for permission to have fun from my authority figures. It was a weird feeling where I, you know, this, the, when I started to feel like I was letting go of some of the critical ideas in my head and the critical beliefs about myself, I felt this discomfort, you know, I felt, uh, oh my God, I'm calming myself down a little bit. No, 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 you got to stay alert. And, you know, my reptile brain, my survival brain was, was very much leading the way at that point. Um, so it was a very challenging childhood, but at the same time, many lessons were learned. And, and logically, I did everything I could to forgive and to forget but the subconscious doesn't forgive and forget very quickly as we can see from people who do everything they can consciously to shift their anxiety disorders but can't mm. um so yeah very up and down and uh and you know if i could do it all over again i wouldn't change a thing really yeah okay and uh ultimately i guess it, it's led you to kind of where you are today which is obviously working as uh you know, an anxiety coach. So. Totally, totally. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, I, I didn't pick this, you know, I didn't pick to, to do this. It's kind of, I tell people all the time that you don't choose this kind of work. It chooses yeah. you. Yeah. And so, you know, people spend years thinking about what job or career or business they're going to start. And sometimes they act on it. Sometimes they don't. And there's this confusion and at the same time, they're looking for their own purpose in life and what's the whole reason for all this and such. And I found that the more I thought about it, the worse things got, the more confused I got. But at the same time, I was always taught to think through every single problem, which led me to overthinking. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, you're overthinking and you're thinking about something and you're trying to solve a question and you never seem to find the answer, but you just find more questions. So, you know, it's like this, uh, I totally realized that I, there was a voice that I wasn't listening to for a very long time. In fact, I, uh, I stuffed aside because I felt like it wasn't the, the right thing to follow. That was the voice of my heart, my intuition, my spontaneousness. 
the things I had between, you know, the ages of zero and seven, where I was, you know, as we all are, carefree before we got corrupted, you could say, right, with these belief systems. Yeah, yeah. So I had to become less intelligent to heal my anxiety and more intuitive. Mm. Um, and at the same time, the very questions that I wanted answers to started arising, but they didn't arise through critical thinking and overthinking. They arose through following a voice that I neglected for many, many years. Absolutely. It's kind of that idea of kind of getting out of, getting out of your head and into the body, you know? That's right. Get out of the head and into the body. Get into your heart. You know, you know, it's a, it's a lost world. It really is. But if you go to the East, and I lived in Bali for a few years, you know, it's a totally, totally different collective consciousness than there is in the West. You know, here you are what you do, right? So over there, you don't know what people do. There is this flexibility. There is this... Um, feeling of being led by some kind of a source energy that we really don't have any or very little um, communication with in the more developed world, mm. um, which is sad, but I think it's slowly coming over here. It's, it's beginning to, yeah, it really is. I think the whole mindfulness movement, um, things like, you know, acceptance commitment therapy and, uh, you know, like yoga is obviously exploding in popularity. So, I think things are definitely beginning to change, but it, it takes sure. time. Uh, COVID's not helping. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> it was not helping anything. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Okay. And uh, I mean, it's interesting as well, earlier you, you, you mentioned kind of positive thinking, and that was certainly something I can relate to as well, because I remember when I you know, first started experiencing anxiety, I was like, All right, I, have to, I have to think my way out of this, you know? And, and actually, I, I read a few kind of, famous psychology books from the time. Uh, Martin Seligman, I think, was one of them, one of the uh, you know, famous psychologists. And mm -hmm. he was kind of saying, you need to reframe it. You need to think, it, think about it like this. And, and I was trying yeah. it, and it was just making everything worse. And exactly what you're saying there, it was just, you know, I was just kind of thinking too much, too much cognition. You know, when you have an anxiety problem, often it just makes things worse. And, mm. yeah, definitely, definitely. Totally. Yeah. yeah, I mean, just to jump just jump into that, you know, it was interesting. One of my mentors had asked me one question and he asked me this question and he said, you know what, just, just take a few moments to investigate what the answer feels like. So he asked me the question, he said, um, why don't you go ahead and think about what it would be like to make a million dollars a year back in the day? I wasn't making anything, a million dollars a year. And I found that there was two parts, two different answers that showed up there. Very in, in the realm of anxiety disorders, we can see how this relates. The first answer was this feeling of, oh my gosh, it would be so nice. I could do this. I could do that in my life. I'd have freedom, time freedom with my family. But then, you know, the body began to uh, jump in some of these uh, the second or core belief systems jumped in and said, well, you know, you don't have the skills, you don't deserve it. Uh, you know, all these other ideas. Mm. And I recognized there after, you know, spending time on my answer to that question, I recognized that it wasn't obvious. It wasn't the conscious mind that was running the show because if it was, you know, I would be in a much better place back in the day than where I was. Mm. It was more so, who was running the ship was this subconscious part of us, this core belief rather than our, our conscious beliefs. What yeah. was really running everything emotionally, energetically. So that really made me understand the importance of congruence to be able to um, help these two minds communicate with each other for an ultimate goal. It was, it really was the adult conscious mind and the, 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 the child subconscious mind that needed to reunite, recommunicate because there was friction there. Um, and when I found that these two minds, you know, the conscious mind and my feelings leading to emotions were all working together, there is a sense of ease and trust that begins arising within somebody. There's no more fighting. There's no more survival. 
even the fear of death doesn't seem to be a fear anymore along with the fear of death and the fear of poverty. There is no fear because a lot of these fears, mm. these irrational fears, if not all of them are learned, you know, fear is hardwired within us. Yeah. But irrational fear, in my opinion, is learned, which can be unlearned. So just to jump in really quickly, that congruence between those two minds was essential. Absolutely, yeah. I think that's, I think that's really true. And if you don't have that congruence, if you, if you can't find that, that, you know, that balance between the subconscious and the conscious, then you know, it's likely that you're going to continue to experience some kind of background anxiety. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's quite possible. So working on that is definitely a good idea. Um, I, uh, I, in, in my previous podcast, I actually interviewed um, a coach who works with people with anxiety and alcohol, and uh, quite an interesting discussion. She uh, there's a book called This Naked uh, This Naked Mind, which is all mm. about kind of you know like well, giving up alcohol or, or moderating alcohol and the reasons behind it and how alcohol actually you know tends to perpetuate anxiety problems. We get this initial relaxation. But then, you know, we're kind of constantly chasing that relaxation because the first mm -hmm. gives us a nice buzz and then it slowly starts to wear off. Then we have another mm. and We, you know, with each passing drink, it's harder to kind of, you know, get to that place of relaxation. And uh, over time, we know that that can lead to kind of addiction issues or even if it doesn't lead to addiction issues, it can, you know, lead to a place where you're constantly, you know, avoiding uh, anxiety, pushing anxiety away, you sure. know, and, and just trying to be in that relaxed state all the time, which is obviously not very helpful. And I know that in your story, that you, you struggled at some point with, with alcohol to a certain extent. It was kind of, it was uh, holding you back. Mm. What's your opinion about alcohol and anxiety? You know, I, 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 I do a lot of tests on some of the things that I wasn't able to do or enjoy from back in the uh, disorder days. Mm. Um, I realized that, uh, and this was a huge realization where uh, I realized that my, my, my belief systems based on my experiences um, led me to becoming more sensitized to alcohol than the actual alcohol itself. Yeah. I remember waking up in the morning, knowing that I had a social gathering in the evening and beginning the snowball basically and going, well, if I, how much am I going to drink? What am I going to drink? What's the next day going to be look like and such the tension arose. And I didn't have to consciously think about it for the rest of the day. The hamster wheel was going. Yeah. So yeah. that led me to that moment of, you know, okay, you know, I'm going to have a bit of alcohol and it's going to make me feel temporarily better, which is great. It's a bit of a vacation from the hell that I'm going through. Yeah. Um, but I know there's a price to pay as well, because there's always a price to pay with any kind of quick fix that somebody wants to be a part of. Absolutely. So the next day there was panic. The next day after that, there was panic. And now there was mixed between panic disorder, health, anxiety, generalized OCD, you name it, depression. It was just coming in full yeah. force. Yeah. And five days later, I could still feel the effects of the beliefs around alcohol. Mm. Um, until I got to a point where I realized, um, wow, if I can get myself to a, a place once and for all, not to try to logic my way through it, as we mentioned earlier, but to get myself to a, an altered state, mm. a place where my mind and body are completely relaxed and I'm not my name, um, I'm not what I do, I'm not my behaviors, I'm none of these things. In an altered state, I'm, I'm in touch with something else, a different kind of intelligence that I'm not really used to. And I reprogram myself. I recondition myself to see alcohol differently and to treat it differently. Uh, when I was able to go into those altered states from time to time and recognize the importance of uh, receiving and releasing, so receiving the peace, receiving the wisdom, receiving the, the calmness my nervous system wanted, 
but also releasing some of the beliefs, releasing some of the past experiences. So it's usually meditation and reframing in my, my world. Those two together made me realize that I could actually have a drink of alcohol again. In fact, multiple and be very much neutral at the end of the night and then the next day as if nothing really happened. So uh, back in the day, I couldn't have uh, even a sip of alcohol would send me into a frenzy for a few days and uh, post anxiety disorder, having cleaned up some of those belief systems and such. And I'm able to drink as much as I want. I don't drink. I have, you know, a drink every couple months now, but, um, if I, if I did, there would be no, you know, tug of war within me. There would be no emotional distress, which is nice. Yeah. Yeah. Great. So you managed to get to a place where you can, you know, you can take it or leave it effectively. And if, totally. you, if you do take it, it's not like, oh, I've had one drink. Now I need to have 10, you know, it's uh, it's, it's much more. Exactly. Fun. Yeah. There, there is nothing. What's interesting with the, the post anxiety disorder world is, there's, there's nothing that pulls a person in anymore. There is no need for these stress chemicals, the addiction to these stress chemicals anymore. I don't have a favorite sports team. Uh, I don't have a favorite show that I rely on to, to experience a moment of happiness or fun anymore. I don't have a, a favorite drink. I don't have a best friend. I don't have these things to rely on to give me what only I can give myself on the inside. Yeah. Um, so, but back in the day, you know, if, if an idea showed up and, uh, and such, and I was like, wow, that's a great idea, you know, an intuitiveness coming to me, I would say, well, I can't, that's not me. And I'm not good enough to come up with that idea. It must come from somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I lived my life looking for fear and excitement at every moment. And I really didn't realize there was a neutral, uh, gray area, middle ground. Yeah. 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 Fantastic. And okay. And um, you mentioned at the start that you, you have some digital programs on your, on your platform. Um, and, yep. and one, one that I saw is the de desensitization program. Can, could you tell us a little bit about that please? Um, if, I believe that's the inner circle program. Uh, inner circle program is a, is a, it's a 16 week program. It's a digital program. Um, and it's daily guidance from me from pre-recorded audios and videos. So every morning you wake up, you're face to face with me. You're listening to my voice going through one particular theme for that week. Mm. The theme could have everything to do with reframing, emotionally reframing past experiences yeah. giving and, and getting forgiveness and such. So it has everything to do with cleaning up the past. The inner circle program has everything to do with how to become more responsive and less reactive in the moment of fear. So what you're doing in the present moment, mm -hmm. it also touches on how to control our emotional states through our physiology, what we do with our bodies. Mm -hmm. And it also helps with, gaining access, conscious access to the imaginative part to create the kind of future that you want to live in. So the Inner Circle program is a 16-week program that guides people on a daily basis um, through their setbacks, through their challenges, through their confusions, and through their anxiety so that they can get to a place where they no longer feel like they have to cope or manage this stuff. Um, and they stop using those words and they start using words like healing and recovery more um, because vocabulary is very important as well. You know, your inner dialogue. I hear a lot of people say words like, how do you cope with anxiety? The moment you say that, you're going to be stuck in a cage for the rest of your life. Um, so you want to make sure that you get to a place where you, you also shift the way you speak to yourself and other people and, and really focus on progress. Um, a world of creation in terms of how you want the future to be rather than have a future that's based on your past. Yeah. So think, it's a very powerful program. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, self-talk and, and mindset are so important. You know, the, totally. the, these are things that aren't always necessarily talked about that much when it comes to anxiety, but if you can work on your mindset and your resilience and, and these kinds of areas, 
uh, you know, work on the language that you're using to yourself. It can have a it can have a huge lasting impact. Um, huge. Yeah. Okay. And so obviously, you know, you you got to a point where you set up these these uh, digital programs, and you know, you've been you've been uh, working in this field now for you know ten years or so. Um, I, I'm interested. Why did you Why did you decide to kind of you know go down the route of, of being a coach, uh, and and not a therapist? Do you want the honest truth? Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> number one, because in my own mind, I didn't want to put people through a process that I felt like would never heal them. I didn't want to go the route of understanding the theory and understanding the psychology, but not really having any true skill sets, practical things that people could use in order to shift their subconscious minds. Um, you know, Freud gave us the, 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 the beginning of the introduction to the parts of us that dictate what our behaviors and identities are. But um, I believe that example of therapy wastes a lot of time, a lot of energy. And I don't believe that it's the best way for, and this is based on my experience and what I've heard from others, best way for you to approach the healing journey. Mm -hmm. So I could have gone that route. I, I thought about going that route, but I realized that there were a lot more powerful and unknown ways of healing rather than coping and managing because um, bless them. I had some therapy sessions myself and I felt like I was spending a lot and I felt like I was going to be seen again and again. And I didn't want to work with a therapist for more than a couple weeks or months. Let's take care of this and move forward in my life. But it almost seemed like, hey, I'll see you next week. And yeah. um, that's not everybody, but it's very common. And um, to be honest with you, I went down the NLP route, neuro-linguistic programming. Yeah. I went down the hypnosis route. I went down the regression to cause route in terms of um, working with uh, uh, imagery and working with the somatic body to be able to um, get rid of some of these zip files I was holding on to that would um, create these negative emotional states. So I went down the, the routes that you usually do not uh, run into because if you go online and look for local help or online help, there's a lot of commonalities there. It'll, it'll lead you to that direction of talk therapy and such, which is great and works for a lot of people. And, uh, but didn't work for me, nor would I choose to put people through it myself. So those are the reasons why I chose okay. just to go into a coaching place. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's really interesting you say that because, uh, I, you know, I, I struggled for many years with, with OCD and OCD, it's, uh, you know, it's obviously an anxiety disorder. It's kind of like taking anxiety to its extreme end in a way, you know, the kind sure. of rumination the worry that you that we all experience uh you know it's um basically the worst thing i think you can do for it in a way is is to go and work with a traditional talk therapist because uh it's exactly what you were saying earlier really you know talking about cognition and overthinking things sure if you go and work with a talk therapist for ocd you know and yeah. you just talk through those things and then your therapist will offer you reassurance well, don't worry about sure. it because this is, isn't logical and blah, blah, blah. Actually, all that, all that is doing is, is making the OCD worse. It's just reinforcing it. Um, Good point. Yeah, so it's, it's really not helpful. And I, you know, where, where are there, there, there are some amazing therapists for OCD, incredible people with, you know, very mm -hmm. practical skill-based uh, approaches and acceptance commitment therapy and CBT approaches that do really work. Sure. I oh. agree with you that there are also many other areas, like hypnosis is one. It's one that I'm particularly interested in right now as well. And uh, mm -hmm. yeah, so I, I really agree with that. I think there's, there's, there's not just one way. No? And, uh, totally. That's a good point. It's a really good point. I, you know, I'll tell you something. Anybody can heal at any time from anything. Okay. And 
it, the preconceived ideas, your level of absorption, you know, your intention, all these things are important. So, you know, it's important not to neglect certain therapies or practices, but it's also very important to be open-minded and to understand where the distress is really coming from and why has it survived for such a long time and showing up so severely today. So, um, yeah, if we can explore some, some other modalities such as hypnosis and such and be open to them and, and allow our focus to be, to, to not be geared towards all the, the possibilities of it not working and such, which is a big part of people not healing through these sorts of modalities, then you have a really good chance of, of taking care of this stuff at the root level. Yeah, yeah. And that kind of, it kind of feeds into my next question as well, actually. Sure. Uh, looking at the root level, I mean, uh, a big part of your work uh, is, is kind of trying to find, trying to discover, trying to peel back what are the root causes of, of the anxieties. I mean, you've talked about it quite a lot already. Um, I like peel back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Peel the onion. And, yeah. And uh, yeah, yeah, the onion is a great metaphor, yep. I think. And uh, so how, how can people, you know, who are listening, how can they start to do that? How can they start to identify, you know, like the things that they, they the causes? What's really interesting with that question is, is that, um, you know, more than 90 people will look to consciously think about when it all began, you know. And if you read a book by Stephen Parkhill called Answer Cancer, he'll talk about three things. He'll talk about this inverted triangle. Mm. At the bottom of that triangle is the initial sensitizing events. So what happened to you and what you learned and what you turned into a belief system between conception and the age of seven. Mm. So even in conception, I mean, I was doing a, a session with somebody and we were going quite deep. And this person was beginning to actually get images and sounds of conversations that uh, the parents were having while they were in the womb. Conversations about abortion, conversations about uh, the lack of love and the lack of care they'll be able to give to the child. So, you know, look how early an anxiety disorder can really start. So he talks about initial sensitizing events that lead to subsequent events, things that happen in your teen years and as you're growing up after the age of seven, eight, nine, ten, And so all these occurrences and accidents and, you know, injuries and this and that aren't accidents, but they are very much energetic and very much emotional because you're carrying around belief systems. You're carrying around an identity. You're literally each and every day communicating with the space around you in terms of what you want more of. So if it's fear you want more of, and if it's lack and doubt you want more of, you will find it. So it starts early, it continues to subsequent events, and then it shows up as symptoms, bodily symptoms, mental symptoms, emotional symptoms. But in today's world, we deal with the symptom, but we never take the time to deal with any of the events, the initial or the subsequent events. Because the lower you go in that pyramid, um, inverted triangle, what happens is everything above it starts to fall off. It's like a domino effect. Yeah. But if you take care of the symptom at the top, everything at the bottom stays rooted, stays firm. Yeah. So... We don't do it through thinking. We don't sit there and think about, well, this and that, what, what happened to me? When did this begin? What we do is first and foremost, we begin allowing ourselves to let go of being dictated by what we're feeling. Mm -hmm. So we begin experimenting with things such as meditation. And what meditation will do, like I mentioned, will help you receive the missing pieces of information you need in order to begin peeling the onion. Yeah. So meditation gets you to a place where you become more intuitive. It gets you to a place where you become more spontaneous and it gets you to a place where you begin becoming more open to information that you could never access through your conscious mind. Yeah. That's number one. And then number two, 
through the reframing process where I either bring people to a deep state of trance or a more mild state where they utilize their body and shift pictures with their hands and such, we get to a place where we begin understanding that even though we feel like we put some of the things from the past aside, what we really did was just stuff them deeper inside of us and we never really took care of them. Yeah. So through the emotional reframing, regress, regress to cause type work, people out there can look up a, a man by the name of Brent Baum who has a system called holographic memory resolution. Again, it's complicated, but really what it is, it's, is it asks one simple question. It asks, if you could go back in time and relive that same scenario, what would you like to see happen instead? Mm. So now intuitively you have a sense of, you know, the, the, the initial events that caused anxiety. And then you answer that question through his method, if you'd like. And then you begin imagining all the, all the ways you'd like it to happen instead. You begin receiving what you needed from your parents. You begin reframing that whole picture so that you can encode it in your neurology differently. So again, that gives people a brief understanding as to Meditation and reframing work, regress to cause work, will get you to that place where, again, the end result is the feeling of lightness, the feeling of getting back in touch with your natural self and not live your entire life through your artificial self. Right? Yeah, yeah. Someone everybody else wants you to be. Fantastic. That's really yeah. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, great. And uh, you were... Uh, you obviously started a you know a very successful podcast. What inspires you to 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 start that? Yeah, you know the podcast. Uh, I I got in sort of early, and uh, five years ago, six years ago, six years ago now, and it, I people always used to tell me, Dennis, you got a really good radio voice, you know. And you got a nice calming voice. Why don't you go and uh, do a podcast? Yeah, yeah. Said, well, what am I going to do a podcast on? So it was always in the back of my head. A podcast is a, I, I did it because I was able to reach a few more people. I enjoyed it. I'll never be doing anything that I really don't enjoy. Um, I also enjoy writing a lot. So I write a lot with blog posts and the books. Yeah. But a podcast is a really cool way to interact with people and to, get your message across, especially if somebody's not very comfortable in front of a video and they would like to start um, sending, giving out their message to other people yeah. so that they can benefit. And uh, it would be very natural, very natural stuff from, from one thing to the next, really. Yeah. Yeah. And you also mentioned there about your book. Can you tell us a little bit about that, please? Sure. Um, the first book uh, I wrote, many years ago uh, called me versus myself mm. and me versus myself was uh, an introduction. Like here's my story and uh, here are just some of the tidbits that helped me. And it, it helped me to create trust between me and other anxiety sufferers that I wanted to help. Yeah. And so as that trust was built, I, I, I utilized all the information and knowledge that I gained from other mentors into my second book, F Coping, Start Healing. Um, <laughs> we can't say the F word here, can we? <laughs> but it's okay, but you know. <laughs> yeah. So in that book, I go quite deep into the processes of responding and reframing and meditation and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and you know, what's really interesting with authors is that after the first book, you realize how much you left out. So you really want to write the second one as quickly yeah. as you can. Yeah, yeah. And so I wrote that one and uh, I'm, I'm proud of it because it's straight from my heart. It's, I believe it will help a lot of people and, uh, and it will take us away from a place of thinking we have to cope with our distresses and, and make us realize that there is a pathway, although it does take consistency and relentlessness, there is a pathway to healing and, uh, and becoming who you truly want to. So yeah, it's, I, love, I love writing books and, and such. So yeah. yeah, I'll be writing another one. Fantastic. Um, and uh, so a lot, a lot of my listeners really struggle with, um, you know, obviously 
OCD. Um, and rumination is a really big part of that. Um, being a, a CBT practitioner, what, what advice would you give to people who are really struggling with, you know, rumination and repetitive kind of thoughts? You, yeah, I mean, when you think about anxiety and OCD, many times you can put it into the category of auto-hypnosis, you know. Uh, the way you feel and the emotions that you feel very much are, are based on the constant uh, hypnotizing of ideas into yourself, causing beliefs and causing an identity. But again, there's always a beginning to all this stuff. It doesn't show up overnight. It shows up through a compounding effect, you know, and, and some stresses will lead to anxieties and other ideas will lead to belief systems. And next thing you know, you're doing the rumination out of safety. You're doing the compulsion out of safety. It provides you with something. It gives you a feeling of safety and a sense of being protected, yeah. a sense of certainty. So what we're really fighting with here is the, the need for certainty through control and the fear of uncertainty through giving up control. So when a person recognizes that what they're doing is for a specific purpose that is never filled um, in the end, but only gives them temporary um, releases, yeah. they can begin to see beyond what they're thinking and what they're doing. Mm -hmm. The goal I always tell people when it comes to OCD and anxiety in general is boredom and disinterest. Like when you get to a place where you, can attach enough pain to what you're ruminating over and enough pain to what you're doing and realize how much regret you're going to live with in your life, then you can begin becoming more bored and disinterested by those ruminations. Yeah. So it's the person's ability in the beginning stages to attach more pain than pleasure to what they're currently ruminating and doing. Mm. Um, and I believe that when they can just pause for a few moments, and just recognize where these habits are taking them in their lives, then they're going to begin opening themselves up to mm -hmm. being flexible in their thinking and more flexible in their doing. Yeah. And that really is the beginning stages, if you ask me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think something related to that that I like to, uh, to kind of uh, think about in this situation is to ask yourself, is, is this thought helpful? Is it helping me to be the person I want to be? Mm, or is it nice. actually, you know, unhelpful? Is it taking me away from what I care about, what I value? You know, and, and because yeah. so often, you know, the, the thought can be so dramatic, it can be so intense, it can mm. have so much, you know, anxious power to it that it draws us in. Even if we, you know, have we have a lot of willpower, some of these thoughts have can have so much power over us because we think that we have to resolve them, that we have to do something about them. And it, totally. that if we don't, something terrible could happen, um, mm -hmm. you know? And so maybe kind of instead of asking yourself if this thought is actually realistic or, you know, actually trying to work it out, you know, just yeah. saying, is it helpful or not, you know, yeah. It, yeah. it can be quite helpful as well. can work really well for people. That's a fantastic question, mm. you know, and, and that opens up a whole spectrum of, of an area where people really need to investigate like you mentioned is their ability to ask themselves better questions yeah so stop asking yourself the same question of if i don't do this what is it going to lead me to or, or such things like that and ask yourself other questions like you know what else could this mean and ones that you mentioned so as you go through the day like we mentioned earlier that awareness that, that mindfulness is very important to be able to catch yourself when you start to go in a direction you don't want to. So a very important part of healing until it becomes automatic where you don't have to be so aware, right? Absolutely, yeah. That's the stage where people really want to arrive to. And, and you can yeah. arrive there. It just takes time yeah. and practice. But It takes time and practice. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And uh, coming towards the end now, I just uh, I had a question about NL NLP because... Um, Obviously, again, you're an NLP practitioner. 
uh, you know, a lot of the stuff that you've been talking about, I can, I can hear a lot of NLP in, you know, in your work. Uh, can you tell us how, how kind of NLP can, can really help with anxiety, like what it does and how you can start applying it to, to help you manage anxiety better? Sure. I mean, NLP um, is really the, the study of successful thinkers, successful thinking, so, and, and those successful thinkers able to achieve what they've achieved in their lives, whether it be athletes or any kind of profession, you look at the top and it's the study of those people. And uh, Richard Bandler um, is, a, is the co-founder of NLP and I totally recommend his books. NLP can be, has been, has become more complicated over time when in fact it started off very simple. Um, if you look at some of the best NLP practitioners out there, they utilize imagery and mild to more extreme states of hypnosis to be able to shift a person's perceptual filters almost instantly. Yeah. So I'll give you an example of it. And this is very just simple, but Richard Bandler, the co-founder, will, will, will be working with somebody. And they'll ask them to close their eyes and, and think about the picture that is connected to their fear, for example. You think about the picture, you create the image in your head, and the guy will go, yes, I got the picture. And he'll go, okay, well, just for a few moments, I want you to imagine that there's a, an annoying dolphin in the corner, yapping, okay, and, you know, doing his thing. And then I'll go, okay, all right, I got that picture. And then I want you to imagine that there's a clown on the other corner and he's juggling and he's got it. And I want you to notice the colors and such around the clown. Okay. And then I want you to hear that same fearful voice that you keep playing out in your head through the tone of Mickey Mouse. So all of a sudden, all these neurons, these connections that have been firing together for so very long start to become flexible plastic yeah and then he'll go okay well now you know mess up the picture and go from black and white you know black white black white and now all of a sudden open up your eyes okay go back to the fear tell me how fearful you truly are still about what took place the guy most likely very commonly i've never seen it not happen will go wow there seems to be a block between the feeling of fear and the emotion of fear. And so they have less access to that place that used to you know, lead them towards further anxiety or whatever. So NLP in simplistic forms, um, without going too deep into it and all the language patterns and such, can be very effective to take a person quickly away from something that has been boiling up for too long and is showing up as a symptom in the present day and get them to alter the way they perceive what took place in the past and the symptoms that are taking place in the present. Um, NLP does a great job of that. And when combined with hypnosis, uh, whether that be mild or more extreme versions of it, um, is a very good two way. Uh, tools for someone to use consistently to begin to shift the thing that everybody wants to shift and that's their emotional state the way they feel yeah um, so i hope i explained nlp decently there but just to give you a sample and an explanation I think you've given a, a really powerful. good flavor of it because like you say if you want to go down into the, the really kind of technical aspects of you know how the language structures and uh you know, mm. it becomes quite complicated. Yeah. Complicated, complicated. Yeah. Absolutely. And, uh, and it's very important with NLP not to have any, not at least try not to have any preconceived ideas of it. Like, what is this? This is way out in left field. I'm not used to this. It'll never work for me. You know, put all that stuff aside and just let yourself be as absorbed and focused as you can on what you're doing. And, yeah. and just, you know, because it's for your own healing. So yeah. that's the toughest part is to get that, those blockages and those ideas out of the way. No, no, actually, I really like the example that you gave as well, you know, kind of giving, giving the anxiety or the OCD a voice 
giving it, you know, like a, a, even like a cartoon character that you can mm -hmm. imagine. And yes. then kind of have it kind of saying those, those uh, you know, OCD thoughts or anxious thoughts or whatever, you know, in that silly way. Uh, Bingo. Yeah, it, it can be quite powerful, but we need to do it with respect and kind of, you know, say why we're doing it. Because obviously some kind of thoughts can be um, very difficult and sensitive areas, uh, particularly with OCD. So, uh, so we need to be careful with that. But I think, you know, for many, for many uh, obsessions, it can be really, really helpful. Absolutely. I mean, you mentioned tonality. Mm. Right? I mean, you can listen to the same idea, but not from your own voice. And next thing you know, the, the, the level of distress that you feel is like a zero. Mm. I remember healing a lot of my healing coming down to tonality where it would be Mickey Mouse or Daffy Duck or Goofy or Caillou or you name it. Right. Mm -hmm. And I would take the same stupid idea that I was replaying over and over again and believed in and I would listen to it there and I would take my time with it. And then I would investigate the idea further and allow myself to become more flexible in how I thought about it. Tonality is very powerful. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, if you could only give kind of one piece of advice for people who struggle with anxiety uh, from, from your many years of experience of your own battle and your own kind of story and then, you know, your kind of uh, transformation into someone who's learned to deal with it and then coaching people, you know, like you have a load of experience in this area. So what would that, what would that piece of, of advice be? You know... I'd have to say, I'd have to get people to understand the importance of physiology. Uh, your physiology, what you do with your body, will create a shift in your psychology much faster than your psychology making a shift in your body. Mm. Um, I would totally recommend that people begin focusing on simple things that they can shift uh, throughout the day, such as their posture. Mm. Because if you see people working today, every, you know, most people are working in a, in an office job. And so they all look depressed. And if you look depressed, you're going to have depressive thoughts. If you look depressed, you're going to have anxious thoughts. So the way you look, will determine which ideas you entertain the most and which ideas are more frequent that turn into belief systems. So the first thing I'd focus on is posture. In fact, I'd go on YouTube and also look up a video called Power Poses by Amy Cuddy. And you do a couple of those power poses each and every day and you feel a sense of empowerment rather than a sense of doubt and loss. So posture would definitely be number one for me. Speed would be number two to recognize how quickly you're doing things and to make sure that you are emphasizing a much slower speed in your speech and the way you drive and the way you walk and the way you talk to people and such, because speed dictates whether the environment and everything within it is either a threat or if it's safe. Mm. So the slower you are, the safer something is, the faster you are, the more threatening something is, Unless you've got some really solid kind of competitive, possibly training yeah. that gets you to a place where you can recognize that your fast speed can also be safe, but that takes some, some deeper training, but speed also and breathing patterns are big. Yeah. Um, hand gestures, facial expressions, what you do with your body will dictate who you become in a very short period of time. So I would ask people to, to really stop focusing so much on trying to logic and data their way through anxiety and OCD even, and to focus more so on what's taking place in their physiology. And as a starter, work on tonality as well. So take those ideas that keep taking you into a direction you don't want to go and listen to them through that funny cartoon character voice that will emphasize you know how silly the idea really is so those are some those some suggestions fantastic yeah i think it's really true i think uh you know actions actions come first and thoughts and feelings follow 
It's, uh, Very good. it's a big one. Very good. Yeah. Very good. Mm -hmm. uh, Dennis, uh, thank you so much for your time. It's been uh, fantastic talking to you and, uh, you know, it's been uh, very illuminating. You've given us loads of really uh, helpful tips and, uh, you know, so thanks very much. Very welcome. Let's do it again. Yeah, I would love to. Yeah, that'd yeah. be great. Remember, if you want to know more about me, you can check me out on Instagram, Robert James Coaching UK. You can go and join the Facebook group if you like, the Robert James Coaching Anxiety and OCD Support Group. And also you can check out my website, www.robertjamescoaching.com. Many thanks. And now just a quick reminder of my disclaimer. Any information that you view on my website, Instagram page, Facebook group, or anywhere else online, or any information that you listen to on the podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for actual medical or mental health advice from a doctor, psychologist or any other medical or mental health professional.